Welcome to a new episode of the Saltwater Euphoria Podcast. This is your go-to sport fishing podcast, where we will cover all things from fishing, boats, tackle, and anything else saltwater related. Well done, gentlemen. Every day is an adventure on the water. We'll be sharing our experiences, stories, tips, and passion for fishing. Gonna need a bigger boat. Oh, think bigger, my friend. Think bigger. Here is your host, Captain Ricky Wheeler. Hey everyone, and welcome to episode 24 of the Saltwater Euphoria podcast. Uh, just been getting rigged and ready the past couple days, getting ready for the Mid-Atlantic. We're getting ready to roll right into the last big tournament of the season here in New Jersey. So I am amped for that. Euphoria is ready to go and have a great crew. So I'm looking forward to put them on some fish, hopefully the right one. But this week, I'm just going to jump straight into this podcast. Uh, before we do that, I wanted to thank our sponsors, Tackle Direct. It's where I get all of my tackle. They take care of me very well there, and they will do the same for you. They also have some awesome tackle that is of their actual brand line. I've been using their rods a lot lately for white marlin fishing, and I absolutely love them. They have the Winthrop butts, cork grips, really, really nice-looking rod, and they have awesome action. They've been working out perfectly for me from Curacao to DR to Bahamas to here in New Jersey, and they're holding up great. Our other sponsor is Strike Point Tackle, and you can get anything from them on their website, strikepointtackle.com, by using code RICKY10. They have all kinds of awesome tackle from spreader bars for tuna to dredges for marlin fishing, and you can get them right on their website at strikepointtackle.com. On episode 24, here we have a gentleman who is exceptionally passionate about fishing, especially chasing big blue marlin, and I met him in the Caribbean being in Trinidad and Grenada and fishing a lot down there over the years. And he's a gentleman that has had countless years of experience on the water and is very passionate about getting people on the water. And he has run charter boats for pretty much his entire adult life. And it is something that he is genuinely and truly in love with is getting people on the water for a great experience. And for him, he has relocated himself primarily to Madeira because he just has this absolute obsession with trying to catch big blue marlin and he doesn't try he succeeds so <laughs> i want to introduce you captain frothy da silva Ricky. how you doing frothy good good man good long how time to see how's life yeah good man ricky how you doing bro <laughs> i'm hanging in there making it happen the best i can you know yeah yeah oh uh, so how was your day today Oh, quiet. We got, we, we went one for two on Mahi. We got a, a nice Mahi, which, you know, is a very unusual fish here. You know, we don't get them a lot, you know. Maybe yeah, I guess. So, right. Yeah. Maybe, maybe a 15 pounder. So we're going to have Mahi tacos later. <laughs> <laughs> Perfect. That's just enough. For sure. <laughs> so, well, let's, let's jump right into it. No, tell everybody that doesn't already know who you are, who you are, where you're from, and what you're doing now. Yeah, well, I'm Captain Frotti de Silva. I'm now living in Madeira, but originally I'm from Trinidad and Tobago, and I ran a fishing charter service in Tobago for about 30 years. And I've had my boat here, Pesca Grossa in Madeira, since 2007. So I've been operating here every year during the summer season. But now I live here full time, so I'm going to try to expand the season, you know, longer. Absolutely. Yeah. 
Well, tell yeah. us about Tobago because a lot of people don't know much about that part of the world, and it's it's kind of like a, a hidden gem for sure. I've only had the pleasure to fish it for one week during during your tournament out of Charlottesville Bay, and it's just it's a special place. Unfortunately, the fishing shut down right when the tournament started, but it was good leading into it. So I, I know it can be fantastic there, and who better to tell us about it than someone that has thirty years experience? So yeah, what you, what's your thoughts well, on Tobago? What was what's your season? Pr pretty much what you see is it's an unknown fishery, really and truly. We've been fishing there for years. Most of our clients, you know, have been tourists and European, but we've had a few fishermen, you know, real fishermen come down fish with us, and it it really is a is a, a great fishery, Ricky. Um, you know, uh, Tobago is a Believe it or not, I would want to be bold enough to say it's a big marlin destination because, you know, in, in 2013, those young boys uh, during our tournament in Charlottesville caught a grander. During the tournament, it was a, a 1,005 pounds. That's and, awesome. Yeah, and, and I, I, you know, I've been asking around, maybe you could tell me different, Ricky. I think it might be the only grander ever caught in a tournament in the Caribbean. I know granders have been caught uh, in the Caribbean, obviously, but um, not that many. But not wow. many, in if any at all. So uh, you know, nobody can can tell me different. So it's, that's pretty <laughs> cool. Very cool. And apart from that, you know, Tobago have the junior world record for blue marlin, eight hundred and ninety pounds. Uh, Sean Mendonca, uh, who you might you still hold that? That's still standing. I think so. I'm not a hundred percent, but I, I do think so. And then, I mean, in the tournaments, there's there's two tournaments in Tobago, and mostly it's Trinidad and Tobago boats. And we have a few boats coming from like Barbados, Grenada, Saint Lucia, Martinique, you know. And once in a while, we have like exile, you know. <laughs> once in a while, American boat come in and, and participating, but that's not not very often. But um, you know, the 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 amount of big fish that has been weighed in the tournament months there over the years i want to tell you it's probably probably more than you know uh, uh 20 fish that's you know between 550 and that thousand and five pounder have been weighed in tournaments and the last i don't know the last 10 years or so we we we, we were almost a all release format you know right so right. big fish were also caught and released and on charters and and during tournaments so and also good numbers, uh, pretty good numbers. There's one tournament that we had there, I think it was 2014 or 2015 in Charlottesville. We had a small fleet, I think 14 boats participating, and we released uh, 60 Blue Marlin, which is pretty good numbers from a, a, a pretty small fleet. Absolutely. And, yeah, and more recently, I don't know what it is, but more recently, a lot of steel fish have been caught in Tobago. And that's something we didn't see much of in the past. We always got a few sales, but... Do you think you that's know, because of how much the the techniques and tackle have adapted over the years to be more conducive to that? Or do you think that the, it's a combination of the two? There are more sailfish moving in now? Or do you think it's just there's more sailfish now? <laughs> I, I no, I would think it's a combination of the two. Certainly, the the, the new way of fishing with you know the, the swimming values and the dredges and stuff that would have definitely increased the numbers of, of fish being caught. But I mean, 
we we I, I fished Grenada years ago. We just used to skip Ballyhoos and we the hell out of them in Grenada, uh, you know, just skipping Ballyhoos. And we did that in Tobago. And of course, we did okay on the sailfish, but but um, I think honestly, it's a combination of the two. You know, the, the modern method of fishing sailfish, as well as there's definitely more present. Yeah, I agree. And for people that don't know, Trinidad and Tobago is basically right off kind of the northeast coast of Venezuela there, and yeah, pretty much especially Trinidad. And then from Trinidad, I guess where all the boats are in Chagarama, it's about what seventy miles to Charlottesville Bay. It, it's probably a little more to Charlottesville. It's about uh, 62 miles from the Boca to Crown Point and another another 20 miles to, um, to Charlottesville, yes. And the, the hard part there is there's no amenities, no fuel, unless you're trucking it out yourself and carrying it out to the boat by by a dinghy. I mean... We we fish Tobago by, by any means necessary. We love to fish, and we know they had marlin. Yeah. But it's one of the most challenging places that I've ever fished. I mean, it's stunningly beautiful. Tobago is beautiful. Nice beaches. is beautiful rainforest. But there's no marinas, which makes it extremely difficult, you know, for somebody who want to go there and do some sport fishing. We actually jerry can all of our fuel uh, on my charter boats. That's what I want to yeah. ask you. Tell us, tell us a, a, a day in the life of you charter fishing in Tobago. What was your... Your average day from start to finish with between getting the boat ready, fuel, getting people on the boat, what are you fishing for? What are you what are you actually catching? So on and so forth. I used to have three charter boats in Tobago and during the peak season we'd have all three boats going on. So I had I had quite a bit of crew that, you know, captains and crewmen that worked for me. And every each team was responsible for fueling and, you know, maintaining, cleaning their own boats and everything. And um so our day actually started Right after the, our evening fishing, we'd go to the fuel station and fill jerry cans with fuel for each boat, right? And then we'd go sell our fish. Sometimes we sell the fish wholesale, sometimes retail. Depends on the amount of fish we have. Okay. After, yeah, after selling fish, you know, we get home, clean up, and next day we're down on the boat, probably get down there like 7 in the morning to leave at 8, prepare the boats, uh, fuel up, literally pour the, the fuel into you know through and <laughs> for the boat hope there's no surge that day <laughs> we had a little panga our boats were on moorings in the in the lagoon in Bonacord. so we had a little panga that we load up everything on the panga and go to each boat okay. and you know, fill up the boat and make sure everybody had their supplies and you know and we'd head out normally around eight. So we did we did basic, you know, it's more tourist charters than real hardcore, you know. But we, we had a lot of tourist charters in the good days. Okay. And we used to put fads down, bamboo fads. So we used basically we just target Mahi and Wahoo. And on a good day, with 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 between the three boats, we'd fill the pickup, literally fill the pickup. <laughs> You know, you know, some boats would catch twenty or thirty, and you know, a good day one boat would catch sixty heads, and they're wow. not really fully fish. You know, they fish that are ten pounds to twenty, thirty pounds. Okay. You know, so it's not really small fish, nice size uh, mahi. So then we had to get back in 
and sell them, buy fuel, and repeat. You know, <laughs> rinse. So rinse. It, it it was a lot of work, but you know, fishing is. You know, you guys work hard too. Your guys have long runs. You leave early. We we didn't leave so early, but <laughs> yeah, two a.m. departures get a little old. Well, that's yeah. cool. How how often would a a big blue marlin crash one of your mahi add on? Uh, no, I wouldn't say it's common, but uh, you know, I fished there for for thirty years, and I'd probably say maybe once a year we'd have uh, a marlin attack. You know, one of the baits, be it us reeling in a wahoo, a skipjack, or a mahi. You right. know, once a year, I would say it'll it'll happen. Um, uh, you know, I actually caught a couple mahi marlin that. Uh, <laughs> they came up on the little mahi and I, I dropped it back and they got gagged, you know. So so we brought them, never hooked. It just swallowed the mahi and, <laughs> and we got a couple like that. Uh, unfortunately, they they didn't make it because they were gagged. Uh, but, right, right, yeah. So what about like you mentioned Grenada? There, I mean, I feel like that whole southeastern Caribbean is fairly untapped still. To, and there's not a lot of places you can say that about that has the population that Southern Caribbean does have, but like, what are your what are your feelings on the whole fishery down there? I mean, I I personally love Grenada. I really enjoy my time in Tobago. I would love to go again. Trinidad's yeah. fishery seems like it's changed so much over the years. I guess the Wahoo fishery changed a lot. The tarpon fishery has gotten insanely good, and then Saint Lucia Blue Marlins. I mean, it's been proven by the boys in the Magic Lady and all of you too in the tournaments over the past years. Yeah, we always knew from you guys that there was fish there, but there was boys on the Magic Lady made it made a spectacle of it last year. Oh, Magic Lady! Um, last year December, those numbers were unreal. You know, yeah. they caught six blue marlin and some yeah. some stuff in a week in seven days. Eh, that's that's as good numbers as you'll see anywhere in the world. So yeah, Saint Lucia. I mean, we have had we have had good years in Saint Lucia as well. We fished three day tournaments there where we had you know 15, 16 marlin in three days and just pulling lures, not even fishing the the, the way the, the, right. the modern day stretches. So yes, that the the fads in Saint Lucia are phenomenal. The Grenada fishery, you know, I, I like I like more to hunt rather than just go to a fad. And so Grenada is a great place to hunt. We have the edge, you know, great wahoo fishing. Oh yeah, you know, you have that run of tuna in the proper schools. Those big yellowfin tunas, dying out, showing all their gold fins. It's gorgeous. Yeah. <laughs> and then we have that. We have some days when the sailfish fishing is really really good. You know. Oh yeah. If I'm honest with you, every so often you'll see a really big marlin in Grenada. I, I tell you what, we hooked one once. I'm pretty sure it was over the mark. No, not not pretty sure. Hundred percent is over. <laughs> um, there's been a couple killed by longliners out of Grenada, not far from the island. That have been over a thousand, right? Yes, there's yes. been two or three in the past fifteen years that I've heard of. I mean, they're around for sure. Hundred percent, and you know we've we've gotten a couple <clears throat> to both sides, you know, in the seven hundred pound range over there. So they they are some good fish. They're not they're not plentiful, but really right. there's a fishery because it's alive. We have the seal fish, we have the tuna, we have the wahoo, and then you have chances a lot of smaller marlin, uh, smaller blue marlin. 
the white marlin, but then you get you get the odd big marlin. So it's a nice place because you've got to be ready for everything, you know. You've got That's to, what I love about it. <laughs> yeah, work. You see the tunas, you bring in the lures and put out tuna baits. You, you, the tunas disappear, you're back to sailfish fishing, but you always <laughs> have the pitch you know, you've got to be ready. Oh, yeah. You got your, your big pitch, your 50 pitch, all your your 30 hey. for sales, then you have your 50 wise with your tuna baits on and ready to go at any moment. It, it is a pretty special place. And then I always... Always have yeah. some rig wire rigs in the freezer in case we decide to go at the edge. Like you can do so much in one day there, and it's sometimes you spread yeah. yourself too thin. Sometimes you just need to stay species like put your blinders on when you're there and just be species specific. <laughs> you can go chasing tunas a lot of days and not get bit and waste your whole day too. It's it's cool. She she could be a little tough on you some days too, but most days you'll get you'll get a couple of strikes, couple of strikes on a slow day. On, on a good day, you could get in a, over 20 billfish strikes in a day, and that's that's pretty decent these days anyway, you know? Yeah, for in, sure. the old day, in the old days, I'll tell you, it was a lot more. So <laughs> I, know, I know that, I, I, I don't want to say we are, but I, I want to say that, you know, there's pressure on the fish because Grenada used to be, you know, when I, when I fished there, you know, in, in, the, in the 80s and 90s, you know, we'd see 200 sailfish every day. You know, yeah, that's insane. They, yeah, they used to stack up in schools, you know, 10, 20 fish. And you'd see those white marlin back then. Were there a lot more white marlin around back then? I feel like they tapered off a lot over the past decade. That's for sure. You know, we, you know, in the early days, it was not usual. Every tournament, one boat or two boats would have a grand slam, you know? Right, right. Do so, a white on a sail on the same day. That that was not unusual. It's, it's, it's a lot less uh, frequent now. Sure. So less, definitely, you know, I'd say less sales. So it's it's definitely different. Yeah. yeah. I was wondering about that. I remember when I first started going there, we would get a fair amount of shots every week at White Marlin. And then the last few years I was there, I think we caught one and only ever saw that one. And it just was kind of, I wonder if the migration pattern changed or what happened. It's just kind of kind of interesting. I was wondering if you guys used to get them a lot back in the 80s, 90s there. Did you yeah. see Tobago too at all? Would you catch a couple every season or not really? In the early days, one, one day I remember in a tournament there we 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 had um you know five strikes and we we hooked three, we got two, released two. So so right. uh, several tournaments we have had you know two or three whites in the tournament, but that was as I say eighties and nineties. I haven't seen that you know since since back then you know, but still. There is a chance for a grand slam, you know. It, it, oh, it's still I feel like your odds are better with a spearfish and a white marlin right now. There. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. well, I yeah. feel like I was good for one a year there. Every season I was there, we catch at least one. Yeah. Yes, yeah. Cool. that's true. Those, those long bill spearfish. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> I saw your glass of red wine there. I hear it's fantastic in Madeira. It really is. <laughs> <laughs> I, you know, I, when I'm in the Caribbean, I drink beer. But when I'm in Madeira, I drink red wine. It's, it's, <laughs> and it's cheap. It's really, really good. Really good value, you know. Well, let's, let's talk about Madeira. You said since 2007, you've had your boat, Pesca Grossa, there. And what is Pesca Grossa? What, what kind of boat is it? Well, Pesca Grossa is um, it was a boat that was made in Australia. It's uh, called Dorado. Dorado is the, the, the company that makes it. 
Uh, the original is a 30 foot boat, a uh, little express boat. Uh, looks, it, it looks a lot like a little 30 foot Cabo Express. Very okay. similar. And she's, she's been fishing here for a long time. Um, uh, uh, she was built in Australia. And Pesca Grossa is hull number 000. It's actually the plug. The, the boat is the plug that they used to make the boat, right? Oh, no way. <laughs> yeah. So the, the guys, they put a little skin of epoxy on the outside. And then they, um, then they you know, they, they built up quite nice. She's a nice little boat built in 1980. But um, she's been fishing here uh, since the early 90s. Uh, Tracy Melton from Melton Tackle. He he used to own the boat. I bought the boat from Tracy. Oh, really? All right. One of the most famous and, and, and really top captains, uh, Kevin Nakamura. He used to run the boat for many years here in um, Madeira, and they had some I mean amazing fishing on that boat back in the nineties. You know, I spent a lot of time with Kevin, and he actually fished with me last year. He came and ran Pesco Grossa for a few days, so I was. Demoted, cool. yeah, very cool, really good. Having <laughs> a little nostalgia but, for him too, I'm sure. Yeah, oh, he and we caught a nice one. He had we had one about eight hundred, and so he that was, was nice. yeah, yeah. You know, Kevin, Kevin caught. Uh, I, you know, in the nineties when that was a real heyday for Madeira. He caught, he weighed four granders. You know, I think the biggest was like eleven seventy four, and he had a, a few other good ones. And he also released four that he told me that he was sitting it was over the mark. Wow. So, and, you know, since I have the boat tell now, I fished a lot more days than Kevin did on the boat, you know. But <laughs> I reckon myself and, and my captain, Carlos, we, we got like six fish. Uh, we never weighed one. We 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 more into the release. So we measured, we measured one at, at 10.48. We had another two, we just say, you know, that's 11 plus all day. <laughs> I had two that I call 11, 11 plus, and Carlos had one that he called 11 plus plus. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> another two that would go over the mark. So, you know, yeah, I don't know if there's many boats out there, you know, that class, you know, a 30 foot boat that has caught so many really, really big fish. Yeah. I mean, She's been fishing a lot in one of the best giant marlin fisheries in the world. So and yeah. So so why Madeira? What what made you start going to Madeira? I'm, I'm assuming I know you love the hunt for big blue marlin. And I'm assuming that's what drew you in, but I want to hear it from you. Well, I think it was 1993 or 94. I read an article. I can't even remember who wrote it in, in Marlin magazine about the fishing in Madeira. Um, you know about all these big marlin, and I'm reading and reading and. It, it, I thought I was reading a fairy tale because the, the, the numbers, the quantity, the sizes of the fish, it was unbelievable. So I wanted to get here. And in 2005, you know, we made a trip uh, just for a week. And I was a poor charter captain from Tobago. And I kind of begged myself onto a boat. As a mate, I, I came to give a hand. And the, the guy, uh, my friend Rob, He's my friend now. He took me out for, he said, come along and give a hand. And this is my first day in Madeira, going out on a boat. I arrived on a Friday, this Saturday. We went Saturday morning at 10 o'clock, we went out. 12 o'clock, we hooked up a marlin, landed it, 
we, we waited it was a thousand and eight. That was my first two hours fishing in Madeira. So sinker, <laughs> you're caught. <laughs> I was of my life, you know. I I there then I decided, you know, that I have to, you know, have a boat here and be able to spend more time here. And it's been more than worth it, Ricky. It's been a dream, you know. Fishing. I you know, I have patience enough to wait. Yeah, you, you have to wait a lot here. But when they come, they're good. They're good fish. Bro. That's pretty awesome. I mean, a lot of a lot of World Cups have been won there. That's for sure. And there's a reason for it. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. And you right. actually, you you've had a win there as well, correct? World Cup. Yeah. Twenty. Hear that story. Yeah, we we that was a, a really good year for us, uh, Ricky. Um, we I I I came in mid June. You know, scrap, scrambled, but the boat in the water. We fished about 10, 10 days towards the end of June. And we didn't see a fish get a bite. And the fleet was catching one or two. And it was, had the client come to fish in the 1st of July to the 5th of July. He he booked the World Cup and everything. So we were, you know, prepared. We fished the 1st and 2nd, nothing. On the 3rd of July, we caught a... Uh, we caught two fish. His son, his son was, I think, 11 years old at the time. And his dad put him in the chair and he reeled in a nice fish. We called, we called it 700. That's cool. And yeah. For an 11-year-old kid, that's a, a spectacular catch, you know. Absolutely. And then, then his dad, 15 minutes later, hooked up and we got a big one, 850. Right? So this, this you know, I was already in heaven. So this is not... <laughs> July, the day before the World Cup. And then um, we came in and I said to Anthony, I said, Anthony, we should go all in. We should, you know, we should, you know, we shouldn't just do the World Cup. We should do the Big Blue Challenge as well. And he was saying, oh, you know, I'm willing to pay half and, you know, blah, blah, blah. And I said, you know what? I'm, I'm, I, I felt like I had a premonition from God. I said, I'll pay the other half. <laughs> and we went all, you know, and you know, back then in 2015, you had until six o'clock, you know, Florida East Coast time to 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 go all in. Now you have a, you have to do it. I, I think it's two days before, okay. right? But so the last minute, the last minute, made the payment to go all in, and the next day we went out and boom, you know, I think it was we were hour and a half in and we hooked this fish and the fish. Huh, the fish fought us really hard. I thought we had a really big fish on, you know. It, it, it eventually it was it was it came on the line. It's hooked just on the outside of the gill plate, so probably that's the reason why it fought hard. But it took about forty five minutes, got it in, and when I saw it by the side of the boat, I was depressed. I said, <laughs> "Oh God!" You know, I was thinking this fish is five hundred pounds. Looking, looking at. Yeah, you know, my mind seeing the two big ones we caught the day before. Yeah, absolutely. So I, I was, I was actually deciding should we take it or not, and then the guy said it's over five, it's over five, and so we landed it, and we, I said, well, we, we just packed him up in the boat, and we started fishing again because you know Madero was actually fishing really good, right? And we got a bite, and we we caught a second fish, but a small fish which we are released. And we came inside, weighed the fish, it weighed uh, 652 pounds. Um, so we were a little excited, but not, you know, 652 is, 
you're not gonna you're in the hunt but you're it's you're close you know computer fishing you have the gulf fishing you have hawaii fishing and so we um we stayed on the boat and we were just drinking some some short rums <laughs> we had to wait 3 30 the um the following morning to, to get the results and we found out that, that it, it held it it, it, it was within fish so that, that is awesome. quite, yeah 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 <laughs> Pretty the following morning, a, a lot of small rums, but you know it's a lot of them, so we were quite. <laughs> that is great. I love it. Good day for us. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And yeah. the best part is, you even pitched in money for that one. You got even a nicer payout. Extra because I I put some money in into the big blue challenge. So yeah, it was it was a good payout. Yeah. Well, let's yeah. talk about your spread there, Madeira. What what's your? I'm sure you've adjusted a little over time. You've been there a while, but let's talk about when you first started going there to and what you were pitching and what you were pulling for teasers and lures, hook lures to what you're doing now. Yeah, well, it's it's basically when I started fishing. Yeah, I, I you know I came in 1995 was my first trip. 97, I was invited to work the deck on a boat called Arjun, so I, I I worked the deck there and basically they 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 fish. Uh, five one thirties, uh, five lures. That's it. No teasers, no nothing. And in Madeira, generally they use big lures. And back then, the popular lure on the longs was a wide range. A wide range is always a popular lure. <laughs> yeah. So we always pull two wide ranges long, and we pull pull some different stuff short. You know, the Marlin Magic Ruckus. Uh, we use um. What's the other popular lure we use there? The black bat grander candy is a kind of big lure. It used to pop and go down like three to four feet and come back up and pop again. Oh wow! That, that that lure was cool because we used to call that lure the master of the mystery bite. They used to wait down for it when it come down and they bite it. So you just hear the clip go. You don't see the bites. You know, <laughs> there's you know all of the surface lures. You see them come up and <laughs> crash. Yeah, away, you know that's what you live for too. Yeah. Put some nice fish on that grander candy, but um, over the years, you know, um, kind of adjusted. Well, uh, we changed a little bit in '97 when I worked. Uh, I fished on a boat called Margarita as well when I was working here. And I, uh, a guy that fished quite a bit in Kona, he was showing me more of the Kona style of fishing, which is is what I, you know, adapted to more. I, my my fishing today is. Quite a lot of uh, it, it's pretty much how you see the corner boats fishing, but I put my little Tobago twist into it, you know, with a couple, <laughs> a, a couple little changes. So, yeah, but I could show you, I could show you some, some, some of the lures. Yeah, what do you have? I know you got you got some cool stuff going on now. So tell us all about it. Yeah, so the this shirts look awesome. Right? I I, I made three three head head designs they they produce these lures for me right and it's it's like three head shapes that i really really like but you know I, i'm never gonna copy anybody here so i made some adjustments to them which i think which, which will put my twist onto it anyway <laughs> so so this one here you know is the pot it's quite a big lure and this is with the alaviv skirt as well and my favorite is this guy here yeah, 
very very aggressively you know it it blows up it runs it never stops blowing up they always have that big spray coming over the head it never runs out of that so it stays in this barrel all the time which you know a fish under the water looking up the lure is this size but it would look much bigger because it's just seeing this big you know tube that it's living in you know? what's that one uh, called what do you call that head so i i gave the, the three heads that that i made i gave them you know three names you know so this this one here i call it the bacchanal you know okay yeah and bacchanal is associated with trinidad carnival uh -huh. you know basically if you google bacchanal it, it probably means it's a drunken raving party you know? <laughs> i love it I, yeah and the, the other one this one here this this one i made for my friend in um antigua chris gomes he wanted a, a balahuske with this particular head call this one the potong the potong you know in the caribbean a potong is a like a mix a mixed dog you know they run all about the place and right they, when you knock two pots together they they they, they run come for food now <laughs> <laughs> so i have this one too this one's pretty cool this one is we call this one the sukuya man i think and it looks one, like a perfect perfect mahi it, it is it is <laughs> imitator mahi yes so and it's a golden mahi so I make I make three, three, uh, four different color mahi skirts. I made, you know, I have this one. This one is the green mahi. The one yeah. I just showed is the golden mahi. But then I, I I make a pink mahi, Ricky, and I don't know what it is. This year we had three really nice fish biting the pink mahi. So oh. I try to make my skirts as natural as possible. So what is it about your, the olive eve skirts that you've made what, what makes them different than anything else out there because they even just looking at them i mean people aren't gonna be able to see this i'll try to show it on the uh on social media on instagram but explain to people what what's different about them and what makes them better than the traditional skirts all right well olive eve um they, they're made from vinyl you know and some of the best lure fishermen in the world are really the, the Hawaiian guys, right? And the Hawaiian guys been using vinyl forever. Right. Uh, they're not using vinyl because it's cheaper and easier to access. They use the vinyl because they get better results using the vinyl. Um, they honestly believe, and I honestly believe, that vinyl is, is you have a better hookup ratio. The lures run better. It's lighter. Is a lot of pluses with vinyl, you know. Um, they don't foul as much, you know. When you're pulling lures with hooks in it, oftentimes a rubber skirt will foul. You have to pull them in and untangle them, set them out again. The vinyl will foul too, but not nearly as often. Maybe you, 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 you check it once a day. And some rubber skirts you have to check, you know, three, four times a day when you're pulling lures with hooks, not teasers. I know you're a teaser guy, so. Once in a while, I'll put one out there with a hook in it. But yeah, I'm I'm, I'm big on teasers. Yeah. <laughs> but the other the other thing, thing with the vinyl is when the mallet strikes, it slides right through. Ah, okay. The, 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 the with with the with the um with the rubber skirts, it, it tends to stick on the skirt. Sometimes you see those big bruises on the skirt from the bill literally sticking, and 
So it doesn't slide through and it doesn't bring, you know, it doesn't slide through down to the hook. Sometimes it pulls the skirts around. So your hookup ratio is definitely not as good with rubber skirts as opposed to vinyl. And, and, that makes and, sense. I have two lures right now that had those bruises that you're talking about from yeah. Marlin crash biting them on the like they were teasers. And yeah. it's just a nice little hole out of, up near the shoulder of the lure right where it yeah. connects. And then the other problem is a lot of lures you buy now, so they're, some of them are not skirted very well and they rip off really easy. And a lot of people don't skirt their own lures. So it's another problem with the rubber skirts I've found versus vinyl. Well, one will better. Look at this. Uh, you might be able to see the head on this, right? Yeah. You see, there's no bulge towards how your lure is supposed to run. You know, when you put a rubber skirt, they, they, they're a lot more bulky. And sometimes they have a bulge right here, you know, where the skirt is overlapping the lure, the, 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 the head of the lure. Uh -huh. I, I see it stitched. How how are you putting those skirts on your lures? How do you complete it? By stitching it right there, or how does that work? It's so easy. I, I stitch it, right? right. I'm just as you do it a rubber skirt. I just stitch it here. You know, uh -huh. you can see this. Right. I stitch it and just reverse it and put some pledge on and slide it on and whip it on just as you do a rubber <laughs> skirt. It's very, very easy. Right. I think it's easier. You know, I'm going to try and figure out how to get these things stitched. So when I sell them, I'll sell them already stitched. So you could literally put this on a lure in, in one minute. Yeah. Quick. And the other thing with these vinyl skirts, you don't need to double up on your skirts. Right? I use a single skirt, but I put some of these, um, you know, the tough deals inside just to give it a little body and a little okay. color. Right. So, and again, when the fish bites, it's so thin, you know? Yeah, it, it's not impairing the hook. It's not biting so much rubber. It's just biting this flat thing and more hook is exposed. Again, you have a better chance, you know, for hookup. So, Makes sense. Yeah. So if you look at, you know, I mean, there's lure fishing, there's teaser fishing, right? So I'm telling you about lure fishing with right. hooks. Best lure fishermen in the world that run lures with hooks in them. As I said, they were they are the Hawaiian guys. They 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 really they started this whole thing. Well, you mentioned and, that you're using a Kona spread. That's yeah. obviously mine. And then you it, elaborate on what it what you uh, interpreted as the Kona spread that you are now using. What exactly does that look like? All right. So so now you know I'm trying to 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 obviously get my new my new lures promoted so right now i'm pulling all the lures that i'm pulling are, are my new lures and they actually i'm really happy with the way that all of them are running so i i put the big lures uh up short uh the portons uh -huh. they they actually making you know quite a lot of noise they, they blow up and i i pull that um off of two squid chains and that's my teasers up short. I pull them up on a square pattern. So they're on wave number three. My teasers are on wave number three. Then I go back two waves. And on wave number five, I have the two back canals. Those things, you know, honestly, Ricky, they look they look like a massive lure. They're not they, they are big lures, but they run really, really big and they blow up all the time. And behind that, I run the two 
Sukuyazi. Sukuyazi is like a, if you look at it, it's a lot like a plunger. It's a little right, shorter and a little bigger face here. You know, but this is, this is basically a, 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 a stumpy plunger with a bigger face, you know. Right, right. Uh, I run those in, in the long. So I go back to, that will be wave number seven. So my spread is square. So I fish three, five, seven on, on the waves. And, you, you know, I, 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 I like a spread that actually some people like layers that pop and go under. I, I like all my layers on top, making a lot of noise. I think we're trying to raise a big fish from the deep. And the bigger it looks to, to, to a big fish, you know, pique his interest to come up and, and have a bite. I, I, I think, honestly, the whole spread, the prop wash, the whole spread, the teasers, all the lures, everything right. responsible for raising one fish. He's down there. He don't want to come up. These big girls don't want to come up and eat one of these lures. They're coming up there to eat everything. That's their <laughs> mentality. You know? Yeah, they're no doubt. They want it all. Exactly. So every every lure that you have out there plays a part to get them up, you know? Absolutely. And we, we we started making some 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 of our own teasers, uh some you know, so we make we do some dredge baits. So some days I'll run a dredge, you know, one dredge straight off the cleats. Right. Uh, and some days I'll run our swimming mahis. I, I think I have one here. I don't know if you've seen it, Ricky. I don't know if I have. Let me see if I show you one. Is it the Meldorados? Yes, the Melorados, yes. I've, I've seen some videos of them from your social media. They look pretty wild. We have a spearfish. You see this spearfish? <laughs> That's cool. Yeah. Those things paddle really good. They look pretty wild in the water. When we get them weighted right, we use it like, you know, these zinc candles. We kind of tear, you know, um, teardrop ones. Right. We put on either side. You have to get the right amount of weight. But when you get them you know, the, the, the Meldorados are articulated. So when you get the, the weights right, those things look like real fish swimming in the water. You know? It, it, oh, my gosh. Really good. The videos. They're pretty wild looking. So, I mean, some days I'll use those as well. Depends, you know. It's a, we, we keep trying all sorts of stuff, you know. Yeah. I'm never, never going to stop trying new things. That's that's just me. I like to keep trying new things, and you know, and you know about the, the marlin whistle as well. Yep, you know? yep, definitely. You still using that? We yes. Sometimes I'll run that with three Meldorados. So, yeah. if somebody wanted to get the olive skirts and or your lure, your heads, how how could they get them? Well, it's it's best they 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 you know contact me directly on social media. But Tracy Melton, Melton Tackle have the olive um, skirts. Okay. Uh, these dealers, they, they have them. Pacific Rim in Hawaii have right. this good. Uh, EJW Outdoors, I don't know. You, that, that's yeah. in your neck. It is. They got them. And we're we starting to send them out to more and more places. You know, they all have been. So we only do a limited amount for, for now because we, we paint them by hand and we put the waterproofing on. We cut every strand is cut by hand. So it's wow. It's a, quite a bit of work. But yeah. yeah. But they're getting out there, and, and people using them. A guy won a nice uh, uh, tournament in Kona the other day with the Alaviv. And, you know, I was so proud to see, like, guys like Marlon Parker using them on his boat, on his Marlon Magic Lures. Joe Yee using them, you know, so. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, quite 
interesting to see some of the top top guys um you know using them so we'll see i i hope they you know i hope they take off and and you know keep growing i have a plan i want to do uh, you know um, new designs better you know stronger yeah. working on stuff that, that's the goal ricky to, to I, I want to improve. I, I want to do a lot better than we have now. This, this is just the first generation, you know. So right. Well, if you're not moving forward, you're moving backwards. So <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, tell us a little yeah. more about Madeira fishing because I know it's you know it's known as a big blue marlin spot, and you got to put your time in. But when it's good, it sounds like it's amazing. But there's not just blue marlin. Like you guys are catching big eyes and you said you called a mile the other day. You, know, you have some deep dropping as well. Tell us a little more about what else you can expect to catch in Madeira during right. the season. Which your season's like June through August is kind of peak, correct? There's I, I, I would say I would say through September. You know, September, okay. September, that's that's peak. Okay. And some people go on beyond that. And it could start earlier. Sometimes in May we start uh, catching Marlin here. Okay. It's um, what I can tell you, this this season is is tough. Last season was quite tough as well. Um, Azores seemed to be firing up last year and again this year, doing good. The Azores is about five hundred and fifty miles from Madeira, and I think it's the same body of fish that you know that would either pass closer to Madeira or or go towards Azores, and they pass through Canary Islands as well. But um, this year has been tough, but man this place i i know it so well because i've been here for for more than 15 years and what i can tell you is that i know for a fact it will get good again because that's what she does and everything cycles we're in we're in kind of a weird cycle here in the mid-atlantic region it's been a little slower than normal that at least from what i remember and yeah, it happens off and on yeah, you know? everywhere we have good and bad seasons but um but apart from the blue marlin, the, the big eye tuna fishing here could be fantastic. You know, the, the big eye tuna here, they are very big. The average is uh like a hundred kilos, which is a, a really nice um that that's a nice big eye. We 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 did, we caught a big one the other day. We didn't um we didn't wait, but we we took the measurement formula and on the formula it was hundred and forty seven kilos. Wow, you know, that's a, a monster. Proper, yeah. <laughs> Nice one. But that was a half day evening trip. We got two that evening. We had another one about you know eighty five kilos as well. So you know it's and the the, the the nice thing is the big eye tuna here usually show up best late evening, so you can fish them into the darkness. So you know seven, eight, nine o'clock, you can be up there fishing for um, for the big eyes and on a good day. You know, they've had boats that gone out there on an evening and caught four and five fish. You know, all fish over those, you know. That's so, fantastic. That's fun. Yes, yeah. <laughs> all on lures, yeah. Everybody that fish for the big guy till now, they just pull lures, you know. So we have we get some white marlin and what what we get here more than the white marlin is the wrong scale spearfish. You know, they've been studying that fish uh, a lot in Madeira. Um, the, 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 the scientists uh, here have been studying them and uh, we recognize that usually we get more uh, uh, wrong scales than white marlin and you know over the years of, of you know people talking to us about it 
you know, we've started to figure out the difference between a white and a round scale. They they almost identical, you know. They they you, say it's very difficult to tell. Yeah, you make an eye. What which one's which? I I really can't tell. Exactly, <laughs> but you need to when you when you start recognizing the difference between the two, um, you know, and you inspect them closely, you, you will um, you'll start seeing. So I'm pretty sure. I I, I mean. No, no data, no scientific data that that says it. But from pictures and talking to other captains and from seeing what we catch, I think maybe seventy or eighty percent of what we catch here wrong scale as opposed to white marlin. But we do get some whites. We do get a fair amount of long bill spearfish. Um, you know, every season, you know, the fleet will catch anything from about five to fifteen. Okay. You know, from different. You know, right. but this is small fleet, eh? Uh, we have about twenty boats fishing, so it, it's not a whole lot of boats. It's more than so, most places. Yeah, <laughs> and late season, um, uh, mid August, you know, right to the end of the year, the, the wahoo fishing is okay. We get some nice wahoo, and uh, the, the tuna is like the the, the big eye tuna. Always here. Sometimes we get the albacore passing through. Occasionally, we catch a yellowfin. We caught some nice yellowfin here too. I've seen one that was like two sixty, really, oh, wow. really nice. And I, I caught one about one sixty myself. So, but they're not, they're not common here. The yellowfin, they, they few and far between. And um, yeah, you know, the mahi, you know, catching it. I, I think it's easier today. We caught a mahi, right? I think it, <laughs> we catch. Marlin over 500 pounds and we catch Marlin over, uh, Mahi over 10 pounds. You know? <laughs> yeah. you know? Well, how so, about Madeira itself? Like, I mean, I, I know the fishing is like the fabled land for big blue Marlin, but it sounds like just being there is, is a treat in itself because it sounds like a very beautiful place with great food, great wine. Elaborate on that part of Madeira. Well, Ricky, I, I, I beg you to come. You know what I mean? I think you'll fall in love. I'll have competition in the marina if you just come here once because <laughs> this is an stunning island. I do want to come really bad. Between you and Stephen Parkinson talking to me about it all the time, it sounds like a an amazing place to go visit. Man, you're going to love it. Everybody, every one of my clients that come on the boat, they fall in love. Yeah. You know, they, you know there's, there's four charter boats in, in the marina that were my clients, you know. <laughs> <laughs> but not only they, they buy homes, they, they literally fall in love. It's a very, very safe island. It's one of the, 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 the safest places I've ever been in my life. You know, no crime. The people are really friendly, really, really nice. The food is amazing. We have some of the best wines in the world. And, you know, the prices are, I mean, you get really good value for money overall, you know. Right, every, right. Every, heard. It's quite reasonable. The island is, the beauty of this island is stunning. The weather is among the best weather you could imagine because imagine in the height of the winter, we're talking, you know, February, March, and imagine there could be snow on the top of the mountains. It never snows. It'll snow here once or twice a year. The snow may last a day or two, right on the top of the mountain. But imagine in the... Um, there's snow on the mountaintop, and you could be in the marina, and it's 20 degrees, and I'm just, just as I am now, 
So we have all these microclimates, you know. We have tropical and subtropical fruit growing on the island, and you know, it's it's stunning. It's stunning. Yeah, that sounds sounds and looks amazing. Everything I saw online and every time I see you know reels on Instagram and photos, it just looks like a very magical place. Yes, and it's also very very clean. I think the Portuguese people have so much pride, and you know, you don't see you don't see a candy wrapper on the ground anywhere. It's spotless. The infrastructure, the roads, and everything is you know unbelievable. Yeah, it's it's really a, a proper place. You got to come visit. I know, I do, I do. Your peak season like aligns with mine here in New Jersey, but uh, I, I need I'll, hopefully another year or two. I'll start being able to free up a little bit more time. I'd love to come on vacation with Kate there. It looks like a beautiful place. I would love to come visit for sure. Yeah. I'll be hitting you up when I do. <laughs> so I'm, I, I'm, I'm hoping to go to Azores. I actually have booked to go to Azores on Thursday. Because, you know, that's also, I've been there once before. I've been to San Miguel. It's also a very beautiful island. And, you know, some years the fishing is going to peak up there. Some years it's here. So, man, I'm really, you know, looking at the possibility of getting a boat that I can post uh, Madeira. Okay. Because, yeah, yeah. Because, you know, I'm, I'm, I want to be where the fish are. You know, yeah. I guess you that's that's why you travel all these you know long distances. Yeah. Ha having having multiple boats in different locations sounds like a little bit easier than moving one boat around a lot these days. But, but uh, no, I, I like it's nice to follow the fish. It, it's you know yeah. you stir crazy if you're sitting for a month just making rigs and skirting lures and you start to go a little stir crazy. You're not catching fish, you know. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. So. You know, but it, it's always going to be like that. One year, Madeira is going to be good and Azores, uh, you know, bad and vice versa. And if you could move around and stay close to the fish, it's the best we can do for our clients, you know? Yeah. I, that, that's my mission, you know. I, 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 I really want to be, you know, where the fish, just so I can do the best for, for all the people, that, you know, the good people that come fish with us, you know? For sure, for sure. That makes sense. Definitely makes sense. Yeah. Well, and, Hopefully I can put it on Omni one day because I think that that is a real game changer, you know. What's that? Oh, the um, Omni? Yeah. Well, what that, are your that, thoughts? What are your thoughts from what you've seen there? I'm sure there's some boats there. Well, I know Bad Company came there with it and yeah. proved what well, a difference it makes. But what are your thoughts? Let's hear yeah. it. I usually try to stay away from this topic because it's <laughs> it's death. But let's hear about it. <laughs> so, honestly, I, I, I went out to them. Um, Brooks invited me out on Unamas uh, uh, about, you know, two weeks ago, two and a half weeks ago. And, you know, he, I told him I was, you know, I wanted to know more, more about it. And he said, well, come on, let me show you how it works. And um, I, I was really fascinated, you know, by the whole setup, you know. And my my honest opinion is that, you know, it's, if we, we want to do the best for our clients, so, I mean, it is what it is. It's there now. And, I would like to get one. Competing in tournaments with the Omni, I think I have a different feeling about that, if I'm <laughs> honest with you. You know, there should be two. <laughs> That's my honest feeling because I think it definitely gives an advantage to the to the boat that, that, that has it. You know? For sure. For sure. Yeah. So but other than that, uh, you know, if I'm telling you on a regular day fishing and charter service, you know, I, 
it's in my mind and 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 I'm you know I'm working towards you know you know getting a a, a slightly bigger boat not 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 of nothing fancy Ricky but you know but well equipped to hopefully with an omni and that we yeah. can Again, the goal is just to do better for for all the good people that come fishing with us. You know, absolutely, absolutely. And the good thing is, I mean, look, it, it really does make a difference. One hundred percent, I agree with you there. And tournaments, it is what it is. Like everybody has the opportunity to get one. It's only money, but it's not money that I can spend right now for me. But it's yeah, cool because in these kill tournaments we have here in the U.S. Okay, it's hard to compete with numbers, especially Blue Marlin. I mean, it it really does help a lot for for everything, but especially the guys that have it dialed in, it, be, it has become very difficult to compete in the numbers game. But yeah. what happened last year? My my good friend Joe Trainer won biggest Blue Marlin. He does not have an Omni sonar. You still got to put your boat in the right spot and and catch them. Yeah, do I, your I, thing. I, you know, but you know, fishing for numbers and stuff. The the, the Omni is um. Is going to it's definitely an advantage, but Ricky, you know, like I, I can see it in in the US is advancing advancing really fast. You know, more and more boats getting it. Yes, but you know, down where we fish in the Southern Caribbean, you know, they, there's one or two boats with an Omni, and the boats that competing against them, they they gonna feel like they they competing with a dis uh, with a disadvantage. Absolutely, and it, absolutely. I think it could also it affect the, the, the participation of, of the tournaments in the future. You know, if, if you're going to fish against these boats that have, you know, this sophisticated equipment and you're not on a level playing field, I think, um, I don't know if there's a solution, if there could be a handicap or if they could, you know, for example, let's think... Yeah, almost like a golf handicap. <laughs> right? Yeah, I have 40 boats fishing Grenada tournament and there's two boats with Omnis and 38 without, right? And the Omni boats consistently, you know, finishing right up there on the top. Everybody paying the same entrance fees. Everybody, you know, everybody wants to go to the tournament believing they have a fair chance, you know? Right. And I, if these boats keep doing well it, it will it will definitely affect you know the other guys 100 um, it's not a cheap piece of equipment to add to your boat it's not a five thousand dollar transducer i mean you're talking after install 120 plus and and you want to keep the sport alive too and like like i said in the u.s it, it's not less of a problem because most people can get them but i mean i know a fair amount of people that can't including myself but down in the caribbean it's there's very few boats that can afford to do that. And and the yeah. thing is, I mean, to be fair, those crews are great crews too and will do well with or without the Omni. But yeah. having it is just another tool that definitely helps catapult them to get more bites and in turn catch yeah. more fish. So, I mean, it's a no-brainer. It's what it is. <laughs> but if you have two categories, you have 40 boats, two of them have Omni and 38 don'ts, then you have... At this issue, you know, there's an only category with only two boats. Yeah, and, it doesn't you know, quite work out. Will be the overall winner. You know, how do you share the prizes? Blah, blah, blah. So it, there's two problems to deal with there. <laughs> but my, my personal view, you know, for, you know, as a charter captain, I, you know, if, if you could figure out a way to get one, I think you're going to be doing the best you can for your clients. I agree. And I, I want to get one myself for the same reason you're saying. 
and like I said, it takes more than just you can't just plop an omni in your boat and then be the best. You still gotta learn how to use it. You still have to be a great crew. Like it's just another yeah. tool in the toolbox. I mean, it's but it's a big one. <laughs> I, I think that's that's a big tool. If I'm honest with you, and it was very very interesting. I must say, it's pretty cool. And, it is really cool. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So so Brooks. Brooks, I think, have a lot of experience, and he was showing me. You know, he made it look simple. You know, if if you if you want to go through the complicated route, it could be quite complicated with all these settings and everything. But if you have a friend that can help you and show you the settings, you could be off to start really quick. You know, right? And then there's so I don't know. I, I'm sitting. I'm sitting only for 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 charters, but not in tournaments. In our <laughs> our region. You know, maybe in the U.S. where there's more of the boats, you know, maybe you could consider two categories or I, I don't know. Well, here's the way it's, I look at it. I I mean, I think uh, the Big Rock does actually have two categories, which is very cool that they did that. But, you know, it is a man and machine thing. And if you want to enter these tournaments, you just got to go in with them. And the cool thing is just don't enter the release category. You know, just go. You're going after big fish and that's what you're trying to do. And you don't have to worry about chasing after numbers i mean granted they still have an advantage to get more bites and possibly get the right fish but people are still winning without them and and i'm just i just keep going out there and doing my thing and i mean i caught fish before the omni ever came out and i'm still catching fish now and we're still competing and placing in tournaments with or without it but would i like to have it absolutely but i'm not going to let it stop me from from playing my game and going fishing and doing the yeah, best yeah. possibly can and showing everybody on my boat a good time you know it's Good time. I, I got goodbye. I got, I got to wake up and go fishing every day and do my best, right? And yes. that, that, but in my mind, I would like to do it with an Omni, but at this point in time, it's it's not yeah. happening. But you know, I I like to set my goal there because you know we want to we want to be competitive and you know more so more than anything to to whatever advantage we 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 can get to to catch fish for our clients. That's that's my main thing with it, you know. One hundred percent. I agree. Yes, for sure. Anything else you want to add, Frothy? Anything else you want to touch on before we sign off here? No well, nothing I could think about, Ricky, but it's good to see you. Good to talk you with too, you. Man. I really appreciate your time. This has been great and really good to catch up with you. Yeah, yeah. Cheers. All right. All right. Ricky. See you, Frothy. Good luck you tomorrow. Can... Yeah, yeah. You're doing bye bye. This was another episode of the Saltwater Euphoria podcast. If you want to find out more about all the things that were mentioned on this episode, visit saltwatereuphoria.com forward slash podcast. Hit like and subscribe for more big game sport fishing, conversations with other sport fishing enthusiasts, and personal stories from the life of Captain Ricky Wheeler. This is Saltwater Euphoria podcast. Till next time.